0: Hi, and welcome back to Audition and Ease podcast. I'm here again with um, Dr Kathleen Hannigan from the Camden EP Service. And today we are talking about autism. But of course, because autism is a big one, we've focused it down. And I'll let Kat introduce
1: you to what what we're focusing on in this podcast. So we're going to focus specifically on girls with autism today. So obviously, in your school context, that is very relevant. Um, But it's something that is definitely being discussed in the media a lot more at the moment because of a few kind of like, you know, British celebrities coming out and talking about autism and their diagnosis of autism as women. So it's being, you know, it's being discussed quite a bit at the moment. It's quite topical. Um, But there is a three to one ratio of males to females who are diagnosed with autism. It is much, much more likely to be diagnosed for boys than girls. And generally, generally, not always, but generally, boys and girls present quite differently when they have autism. So girls' autism can sometimes go quite undetected. But the, the difficulties are the same, regardless of, um, re- regardless of whether it's boys or girls that have autism, the difficulties are the same. And they are two strands of difficulty. Um, they are difficulties with having fixed and rigid interests, wanting things to be a certain way, be on their terms, struggling to move on to something else or struggling to do something in a different way or wanting to do the same thing again and again, wanting things to be repetitive, wanting things to be the same pattern, finding it really difficult to accept any change, fixed and rigid interests and social communication difficulties. So not being able to understand other people's perspectives, other people's intentions, it's not actually you know what people would say about people with autism not being able to have empathy because they do they they are able to show that they care about somebody or that they understand that someone's sad or and they and they're concerned when somebody's sad it's more that what they find difficult is to imagine what that person is thinking So they might find it difficult to understand somebody else's perspective or why somebody was annoyed about something or what might be going on in their minds that made them do something. So it's really putting themselves in somebody else's shoes. It doesn't mean that they don't understand emotions because they can understand emotions. So it's that kind of thing. But it's also things like not knowing what is appropriate to say or not appropriate to say. Not knowing when somebody doesn't want to talk to you anymore and wants to leave the conversation not knowing when somebody doesn't want to talk about your area of interest anymore, that kind of thing. There are also associated sensory difficulties, but they are not, they don't have to be present for a diagnosis anymore. They did used to be, but they don't now. So a lot of people with autism have difficulties with loud noises or lights. They're quite easily overwhelmed and they might struggle with certain tastes. They might experience taste so much more strongly than we would. And so that's why a lot of autistic children or people eat like beige food because it's safer and it doesn't overwhelm them as much. Whereas some people with autism seek sensory stimulation. They love lights, they love loud noises. And so there's, there can be some sensory difficulties as well. So you might find some children with autism might cover their ears and if they feel a bit overwhelmed, particularly in a school environment. So those are the kind of things that are needed for a diagnosis of autism. But I don't know, DJ, at school, the girls that you have with autism, or with social communication difficulties, maybe not a diagnosis, but they've got those difficulties, how do they typically present? Are there any similarities?
0: So, yeah, so we... We only have a handful of pupils with a diagnosis of um, autism. But the one thing, even though they all can present really differently, the one thing that they do all have in common is kind of relationships with their peers. Yeah, Um, And also being able to express and being understood sometimes by adults as well that are around them. Yeah. and um the sensory thing isn't always evident mm. um but we do have a few people who do do struggle with um crowds mm. loud classrooms Um that that is definitely an issue and you know and sometimes unavoidable yeah um and of course just um over, overwhelmed by emotions that they might not be able to articulate and that's um, and that's where they will have the fight or flight um mm.
1: reaction yeah yeah absolutely um so specifically for girls what sort of is coming out now is a kind of a little bit of a profile of what girls with autism how they might present and um, so typically in all needs, whether it's um, more emotional needs or communication needs, boys tend huge generalization, they tend to externalize their behaviors or their feelings a lot more than girls do. So girls might be more likely to show um, more, you know, those kind of more introverted or introspective sort of like anxiety um maybe low mood, things like that, rather than the big behaviours, the chucking chairs, the throwing things around, the hitting people, shouting, for example, but not always. And I'm sure that you have some girls at school who do externalise those feelings and those behaviours. But the same trend is, is there with autism as well. So often girls with autism can sometimes be misdiagnosed as having anxiety and depression. There can be associated difficulties. So the difficulties that they've got with their social communication impacts their feelings and their mood. So they may have anxiety and depression, but it's sometimes not noticed because the focus is on is on that. Um, they may be students who allow other students to speak for them. They may present as incredibly quiet or incredibly shy or unable to articulate or explain their perspective or what they think or how they feel. So they kind of rely in groups on other kids to talk for them. They might have interests in very specific things and that they know loads and loads about. Um, And it might be difficult to get them onto the thing that you want to talk about or you want to focus on. And they might be quite sensitive to sensory stimulation, like we've talked about. They They may struggle to engage in conversation that is outside of their range of interests. So they might find it difficult to talk about something else that you want them to talk about, because they just want to talk about what they're interested in. They might have difficulties in managing those feelings. So they might present as panic attacks, maybe, or just a complete shutdown and not being able to talk to you at all. And they may also present as, like DJ was saying, friendship difficulties and difficulties with peers. Lots of arguments with peers, lots of kind of very big reactions to seemingly quite small things. And that can be indicative of emotional needs. But sometimes it's because those children just don't understand why that happened, or why that person behaved in that way, right?
0: So, because obviously there, there are a range of difficulties, um, and a, even though autism is a communications and uh, it does come under communications and interaction difficulties, it also borderlines social, emotional, and mental health what kind of strategies could a classroom
1: teacher put into place to help support those needs? Yeah, okay, so I've split them into three sections. So the first one is how to make things predictable. So underneath autistic behaviours, there is a huge amount of anxiety about the world because the world is unfamiliar, they don't understand it, they don't get it. So it's all much, much more frightening than it is for somebody without autism. So making the classroom as predictable as possible. Clear, unambiguous expectations. Show them examples. If you want them to do something in a certain way, show them what you want them to do. If you want them to draw a mind map in the middle of their page, and it needs to be a circle with five lines coming out of it, draw it for them and show it to them so they know exactly what it's supposed to look like. Make sure that in the classroom as much as possible, you've got a very clear routine. They know what they're going to be doing that day or over that term even to prepare them for their GCSE. Maybe they know what's coming. And give them warnings for when things are going to end. People with autism find transitions really difficult because it's a change. It's moving on to something else. So warn them that something's coming to an end. We've got one more minute. All I want you to do is finish that sentence and then we're finished. Next, we're doing this. So the now and next approach. For some children, you'd write it down and they'd have it in sort of cards in front of them. But for a lot of kids, you can just do it verbally. So you can say like, Now we're going to do the register. Next, we're going to write the date in our books. Now and next for everything. So they know what's coming. Using task managers and checklists. I talk about this all the time. But again, it's to be predictable. I know what I have to do because I know what's coming next. Like I mentioned earlier, maybe an overview of the term might be helpful or an overview of the half term or an overview of the module for children who you know, they really, really want to do well and they're quite switched on, but they're really worried and anxious about it. I'd say that for girls with anxiety as well, show them what we're going to be doing and how we're going to get to the end point of you doing that assessment. So they know exactly what's coming and as much as possible, prepare them for changes. If things are going to be different to what they expected, let them know in advance where we are able to, where we're not able to remind, like, keep it in mind that they're going to find that hard. So prepare them for the fact that, right, this thing is happening. I didn't get much warning. This is what we're going to do to manage it because they might find that really difficult. Second section is about supporting social communication difficulties. So like I said earlier, they may not always understand your intentions or why you're doing something. I've sat with children with autism before when they've sort of had a really difficult lesson or they've been quite disruptive and asked them, what do you think your teacher was thinking when you shouted out and knocked your chair over and talked to the person behind you? And they one boy in particular had no idea what I meant. I was like, "What do you think so What do you think sir was thinking in his head while you were doing that? And he was like, "I don't know. I' have no idea." And it's not that he didn't care. It's that he had no clue. So when we talked about the fact that his teacher might be a bit fed up because he's trying to get to the end of his lesson and teach all the stuff that needs to be taught, he'd never thought about it in that way before. So he might, children might not always understand what you are thinking. So again, same as language difficulties, keep your speech clear, unambiguous and slow. Keep it short, keep the language succinct. If you want them to specifically do something, avoid metaphor and avoid idioms. Teachers tend to talk in those quite a lot, but try to avoid them because they probably aren't going to understand what you mean. and try to avoid not jokes but sarcasm. So I was talking to a young lady recently who has autism, and she said she was very upset because something had been moved, um, and an uh, adult said as a joke, um, "Oh, don't worry, we'll deliver it to we'll deliver it to your house tomorrow, so you've got it." And she genuinely was like, "Okay, I'll be waiting for it," because she thought that that was what was going to happen. So. So it's it's not that they don't. And she said to me, she said, it's not that I don't understand jokes. I understand a joke, but I thought that that was real. I thought they meant that. So avoid that that kind of sarcasm. Oh. Um I know, I know, I know. She was she was like, all right, I'll be ready. So, so and she and she she said now when I think about it, I get that it was a joke, but I just didn't understand that at the time. So be careful with with what you say. It can be misinterpreted. Um again, like I've said before, gestures, pictures, written instructions. Sometimes language difficulties and autism can come hand in hand. So it might be that your child with autism also has language difficulties and language delay. Um, and like I said earlier, when I was talking about the young man that I kind of sat with to try and think about what might the other person have been thinking, that's called a comic strip conversation approach. You can use it just in like language when you're talking and um, to get them to think about well, why do you think they acted like that? What do you think they were thinking? And they might not have ever thought about that before. So trying to get them to consider that viewpoint is really helpful. And then finally, strategies to help that child to regulate themselves when they're feeling overwhelmed, they're really anxious, they're really worried. If possible, having a safe space where they can calm down, having some time out, if that is possible to do that, a quiet space, somewhere to calm themselves. Reduce the communication with them in that moment. When they're really, really overwhelmed, there's so many things going on in their brains, there's no point talking to them loads. Keep the communication short, reassure them that it's all okay, but don't talk to them loads and loads because you're probably not gonna be able to get through and it will be overwhelming for them. Some children might need and might benefit from having like safety objects that they have with them. So transitional objects, maybe a little thing from home, something that they find reassuring, And as long as that's not too obstructive or obtrusive in your lesson and allowing them to have that can be really helpful. And then have the conversation with them afterwards. Well, maybe you do that thing of why did that happen? And what do you think that so-and-so was thinking when you did that? So giving them, and that's why restorative justice works quite well because it is all about understanding both parties' perspectives what both parties were thinking. Genuine restorative justice is about everybody in that process talking about what they were thinking and feeling, and that's explicitly teaching that to children who might not understand that all the time. Um, But I think the key thing is that, you know, the difficulty maybe with a peer interaction might be coming from a lack of understanding. And that's, you know, and, and, and we need to help them to understand Rather than have a go at them for what they did, because they probably didn't, they probably didn't understand what was going on fully all the time. Right. So, very much
0: quite a complex need in yeah. a nutshell. Yeah. Um, but um, strategies for the you've broken it down into three areas, which are making things predictable. Mm-hmm. Social communication difficulties and how to support that. And thirdly, how to help them regulate. So making things predictable is very simply clear, unambiguous instructions, give examples, clear routines Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, and things like checklists and modelling and a a bit of scaffolding obviously will help with things like that. With the social communication difficulties, again, clear and ambiguous and slow instructions keep language to a minimum Mm. use gestures use miming use pictures (laughs) use tone um and then to regulate which is the probably the hardest one to do in a secondary setting is finding that safe space to calm down um usually students with with these difficulties especially for autistic pupils we already have this set up that they can either have a step out card and they step Mm -hmm. outside or they have a safe space where they can go to and that would be rearranged Mm -hmm. um if if it's not been identified and and we're starting to see these difficulties it'd probably be up to the classroom teacher to let them have that time out outside but then Mm -hmm. refer to the pastoral team maybe this needs to be investigated a bit more um reduce communication when they are in a very anxious state there's no point in talking to them they're not absorbing it um i mean we do allow pupils to have fidget toys as well so they they could be using those they've been given permission um previously and that restorative justice or that conversation afterwards it may not be straight after the meltdown or the anxiety it might be at a later stage
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it is about keeping the world as predictable as possible because it is a lot more unpredictable for people with autism than it is for people without. Okay, right.
0: That's great. So thank you very much. And um, I will see you again in our next podcast.